Oh, trying to put the puzzle together of life. We're going to, uh, over the next several weeks, making a journey to Pentecost, trying to put together the puzzle. And in our journey to Pentecost, uh, Pentecost being a, a word, um, 50 days from Easter to Pentecost is 50 days, um, seven weeks. And some of you are already mathematically thinking, wait a minute, seven weeks is 49 days, and you just said 50 days. And I just invite you to think like we talked last week, that remember, in the culture of Jesus, they counted the day you were in as well, uh, such, such that we explained last week that when we say Jesus rose on the third day, he died on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three days. And so when you hear 50 days for Pentecost and wonder, how does that work? It's seven weeks. Just remember, we're counting the present day. But anyways, on the journey to Pentecost, we're going to be looking at how we can grow in our faith, how we can take uh, the faith that we have and further develop it. And we're going to do this journey by walking alongside some lesser-known characters in the New Testament. We're familiar with some of the bigger names like Peter and James and John and maybe even like last week, Thomas. But there are a host of other names, other participants in the early church whose names are only briefly mentioned or maybe even they aren't named. And yet they have so much to teach us and help us as we prepare and make this journey towards Pentecost. And we're going to do that by beginning today with walking alongside another journey in that journey, kind of a journey within the journey. And that journey that we're going to do today is with two followers of Jesus following the resurrection. Now, these two followers of Jesus haven't yet put that together they're still really stuck on Friday. They're stuck on the day that Jesus died on the cross. And we're going to journey with them and see what they have to teach us about our faith, how we can grow, and how we can help others. So let's pray and ask God to bless this time. Almighty God, It is your word that you've given us as a gift, as a witness to your grace. And it is now in this time that we pray that your spirit would simply work among us. Help us to hear the familiar anew. Help us to be struck by that which you wish, desire to teach us. Help us to see with new eyes and help our hearts to be changed. We pray all this, Jesus, through your precious name. Amen. The passage we're about to read is from the Gospel of Luke. Luke tells us at the start of his gospel that he's made a careful exploration, that he's gathered as many sources as he can 
and he's poured over them and he's spoken to witnesses to compile and put together the gospel that he now shares with us. Part of the evidence of that is we definitely believe that Luke built upon the gospel of Mark. And Mark makes a brief reference towards the end of his gospel, a two-sentence reference to what Luke has clearly gone and investigated those two sentences and now delivers us the bigger picture. So listen now for the word of the Lord as explained through Luke chapter 24, beginning at the 13th verse. That very day, that is the day of the resurrection, that very day, two of them, that is two of the followers of Jesus, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow, to, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the today is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight, and they said to each other, 
did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I mentioned, we're going to journey with some of the lesser known characters, in this case, Cleopas and another follower of Jesus whose name we never get. But our journey begins with them from that day of resurrection. They're in a stuck place. Truly, they're stuck on Friday, the crucifixion. They're traveling. They're journeying. They're making their way from Jerusalem all the way to the village of Emmaus, some seven miles, or what we know as 60 stadia. So they're making quite a little journey here. And even though they're moving, in many ways, they are stuck. Even though they're physically on the way, their hearts are kind of trapped and stuck in a different place. They're turning over all the events. They're, they're walking through them together. They can't get their mind around what has just happened. Their hopes of the last several years have been squashed. They're like the other disciples in which they thought the Lord Jesus was going to be the one, the one who would redeem Israel. And they saw all that come crashing down. And it turns out they're not alone. The whole community, all those in Jerusalem, it stirred up Jerusalem. We know that even from the, the week before the crucifixion, that the whole city was stirred up asking, who is this? And then answering the question was to remove that person. So they're pondering and they're thinking and they're turning it over and they're simply stuck. You know, there's a lot of people that we know that are stuck. We know it when we meet people, or we know people that we are in our family or friends that are simply stuck. Something has happened in life, some major event, some tragedy, some unexpected happening, something that was unjust, something that shouldn't happen, and it captures a person, and even though they're moving forward in life, you know when you talk to them as they share their story that they're stuck back at that event, that happening, that circumstance. They're stuck. That's not to say they're not still living life and doing things and, and going forward, but when you listen to the story, they're stuck. And in truth, it happens for many of us as well. 
There's something we get hung up on, something that we can't get our mind around, where we we wonder, how could that have happened? We encounter the person who uh, is wrestling with the idea of God the Father because that person grew up with an earthly father who was awful and horrific. And so the image is hard to reconcile. And so it's hard to even accept a God who is God the Father. That, that just, you can't go there. Or the person who's experienced an event in which life has played such a bad turn of events, such an awful turn of events, that you can't help but ask the question, how can this happen? If, if something like this can happen, how can there be a God? When life gives us such, well, quite frankly, the unspeakable. Or that part of us that has the hole inside, we all have a hole inside us that we yearn to fill. And and we find all manner of ways to try and fill that hole, some more acceptable than others. Uh, Sometimes it's filling ourselves with just a continual shopping or, or maybe a lot of food and different foods. I've found myself at times living for food. Maybe you've seen the growth of it. Or, or other things that are not as acceptable, addictions, whether um, subtle or even more extreme, in which we're trying to fill that hole and slowly building our own destruction. In truth, all of these things are really trying to find and make an idol of something that will fill us, and yet it doesn't last, and it doesn't fill. We're stuck. And so, with these two, we find them on a journey leaving behind what has happened and yet unable to leave it behind. Leaving Jerusalem, going to Emmaus, and yet they're still carrying with them what's transpired. It's what's filling their mind and their conversation, and they're talking with each other along the way. And a stranger comes alongside, gets near enough to overhear, asks if he can walk with them by saying, what is it you are talking about? And as if to slam home the point that they are stuck, that they are standing still in all their journey, and they stop, dismayed that someone can ask what they're talking about. I mean, the city of Jerusalem is emptying out as people are going back from their pilgrimage for the Passover. They all went to Jerusalem, and now they're all going back into the countryside, into the villages and hamlets, walking a few miles or several miles. They're all emptying, and they're going on the way. And no doubt, many conversations were like these two, and they were talking through the events such that the assumption is if you could overhear them and hear snippets, it wouldn't take you much to know, oh, they're talking about that whole Jesus thing. And he says, what are you talking about as you journey along the way? And they stop. Dismayed that someone cannot know. They say, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened? My parents had friends um, 
whose son was a firefighter in Alaska, and he was fighting fires during the time of 9-11. And it was like two weeks later before he became aware of the news. Think of the delay. These two are baffled that there can be someone who doesn't know what's just happened. They're stuck. Now, here's the powerful part of the message. That God does not leave us in a place of being stuck. That doesn't satisfy God. That's not what he wants for us. He doesn't desire for us to be stuck in metaphors of an of a unhealthy father or events that are tragic and broken. And how could God, he doesn't leave us just to suffer with that. No, Jesus comes alongside and walks with them. Oh, he will acknowledge that we're confused. Oh, foolish ones. But that commentary is an analysis of the truth of the moment. It's acknowledging the reality that's before us, that when we're stuck, we're confused, and we can't see, as Anna was giving us, the bigger picture, because we don't have the picture to put the pieces together. But God's not willing to leave us in a place without the picture. Jesus begins to walk with them. And he begins to explain to them the scriptures they already know, the scriptures with which they are already familiar, the scriptures that they've been raised on since they were a child. And he begins piecing them together to make the picture. You know, we do that all the time in life where we have that aha moment, right? Uh, I, I've often shared that we, we all of us, uh, most all of us, I should say, partake in breakfast, right? We have breakfast. It's one of our three meals of the day, unless you're a hobbit. It's one of the few meals, three meals we have. And yet breakfast is really that meal that breaks the fast, It's that meal that comes off after the longest duration between meals. Think about it. Sometimes it's over 12 hours since we last ate. And so breakfast takes on an entirely different meaning when we start to remember and recover that it's about refueling and recharging, not just getting the next meal of the day, but it's about a restart, being properly fueled. It's breaking the fast. Jesus is taking time to walk with us, to put the pieces together. And it gets even better. When they arrive at their destination, or at least where they thought their destination should be, Jesus goes as if he's going to walk on. And though they don't know who he is just yet, they, they operate in that spirit of hospitality of the culture and say, oh, hey, come on, it's, it's going to get towards dark here soon. Come on, stay the night with us. And they press him, which is typical of the hospitality of the time. Good, strong pressure. Let us now be a host to you. Come on in. And he agrees. 
But the change that takes place is a subtle change that the culture reading this in Jesus' time would have immediately grasped, but goes right past us. It might be equivalent if I told you that you had me over to a meal and we all were going to sit down at the nice dining room table with all the china and stuff, and, and instead of you sitting at the head of the table, your guest goes and sits at the head of the table. You say, what are you doing? Jesus is the one who picks up the bread and gives thanks and breaks it and gives it to them. It's not them. That's their job as a host. But Jesus is the one who's hosting this time of putting the puzzle together. And it's in the breaking of the bread that the flashbacks begin to happen. The flashbacks to the, the feeding of the 5,000 with the, the loaves and the fishes. The flashbacks to the Passover meal. And even that meal with the disciples in which Jesus redefines the Passover meal. And the fact that Jesus has been spending all this journey that has now gone so fast that time has kind of stood still as they've gone along. It's in this moment that it all starts to come together, that the prophets have spoken of a suffering servant, of one that God whom would send to save his people. And it all comes together in the breaking of the bread. They are reminded of the one that is broken for them, for us. And then he vanishes which seems awfully unfair, but there it is. But they are in the moment and they say, did not our hearts swell within us? They, they, they're suddenly aware of who's been with them and their hearts just, they can speak of when we listened to him, when he was putting that puzzle together for us, when we could start to see the picture, were not our hearts just burning within us? And then what is amazing is what they do next. Remember, they pressed him to say because it was getting near nighttime. Remember, they've just journeyed seven miles. This is not an event you can sit on and wait till morning. No. They hustle back to Jerusalem right then and there to tell the disciples, to tell the others who followed Jesus, we have seen the Lord. This is not something to sit on. This is not something that can wait. This must be told. Uh, there are things that happen in our life that we just can't wait to tell somebody else. You know, some of us have been put through the, the difficult burden of when someone tells us they're pregnant, but don't tell anybody. I mean, are you kidding me? That's really hard. You know, I won't tell anyone except for just a few people, right? There are some pieces of news we can't sit on. It's too hard. How do you sit on someone who's been killed on the cross and now has been raised to life again? Someone for whom death no longer has mastery. You can't sit on that. So for our journey, what do we learn? We get to journey with these two, Cleopas and the other unnamed disciple, in two different parts of a journey. 
One in which they are like us and like so many out there in which there's an acknowledgement that we can get stuck. But Jesus is not willing to leave us there. God is not willing to leave us stuck. But wants to come in and offer explanation and story and picture so that we might come to believe. How do we reflect that? Look what Jesus did. He came in alongside. He asked questions. And he walked with them. The burden placed upon us is to walk with family and friends, acquaintances, co-workers, those who are struggling to not be rejected by the struggle, to not say, oh, I don't want any part of that. That's a, that's a heavy burden. Good luck with that. But rather to enter in, to ask questions, to journey alongside, to slowly and carefully share what God has said through his word. Not to proof text, not to prove, but to walk alongside, to take what they already know and to help weave it together into the tapestry that God has been making from the beginning of time with his son, Jesus Christ. And that simply takes time. It is a journey. It is walking alongside people who are hurting. And most of us say we don't have time. But in fact, that's why we've been given time. To walk alongside others. And then not to just walk on when they think they've arrived at their destination. But to enter into their lives in such a way that we're breaking bread with them. Eating with and living life. It's in those moments that we earn the right to be heard. It's in those moments that we're connecting people to God's family. And then the second part is this, to recognize that once we are in a place where we've been unstuck, where we've heard the good news, to recognize that's not something to wait on telling others about. It's time to move. It's time to go back to those who may still be stuck. It's time to look out and say, hey, there is good news. There's hope here. We marvel at the stories right after the resurrection that the first witnesses are women there at the tomb. That the 11 are trying to figure out what's happened and Jesus appears to them in a locked room and even a week later with Thomas there. And then the story like this where two others of the followers of Jesus, part of the larger group, are exposed to who Jesus is and they race back. We don't have to be in the inner circle or the greatly religious of the group. We don't have to be part of the 11. We can be part of the unnamed and still make an incredibly powerful impact for the kingdom of God. Thus begins our journey towards Pentecost.
as we consider how we might break bread with others. Let us pray. Almighty God, your word is absolutely stunning. That you would give your son and then allow us to see and be taught by your son. That your spirit would move amongst us in such a way that we would be equipped to share. Help us, O Lord. For in truth, we see our own uncertainty, all that we don't know, the many ways in which we feel we are ill-equipped. And yet, Lord, help us to see how you used numerous people, numerous people, some who are even unnamed to us, to share your good news. These are those who didn't make it into our Sunday school stories. And yet you joyfully walked alongside so that we might come to believe. We pray all this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. And may that grace, the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever, may that grace be with you now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.